guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. Are you ready, Phil? Yeah. All right. Hey. Guys. <laughs> and girls. And gals. And non-gender binary specific people. Um, welcome to the Bitch Seat Podcast. I am your host, Lissa. I am Phil. <laughs> You're also a host. I was going to say I am Lissa. Uh, uh, I didn't mean to, but here we are today. We're all hosts. We're all hosts. Many parasites we don't even know live in our bodies. That's um, right. So uh, very, very exciting uh, today here in, in Los Angeles where everything's on fire. Well, okay. Um, well, if, if what you're saying is true, it's always been on fire. If we're, we are recording right now uh, on September 2nd, so and this is going to come out sometime in mid-September. So Right. So hopefully it's not still on fire then. I mean, yes. But... Hopefully there will be some... Listen, guys. We produce a comedy podcast, but um, parts of this country are totally underwater. Other parts of this country are on fire. Other parts of this country are being marched on by Nazis. So, like, basically what we're doing is trivial and uh, existentially questionable. There's some people that, that, that appreciate us. I mean, you know, like, we, we, we're a salve on the hell of their lives some, t- some days. This is for you guys. This is your salve. Please tell your friends to download... Subscribing is good, too, but downloading is more important. But download the episodes and then delete them. You don't have to listen. You don't have to keep them on your you phone. You don't have to listen. You do have to. Yes, please listen. Do, listen. Okay, fine. You can listen. And then you can da- listen. And then delete. But, like, download a bunch and delete them and then, like, go back and listen to them. Hey, Phil, where can people download and then delete these podcasts? You could, you know, download and delete these podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. You could also find us on social media, on, on uh, Twitter at the underscore bitch underscore seat or at Twitter. I mean, that at, just at on Instagram, at Instagram <laughs> at the internet web uh, on Instagram at the bitch seat. No underscore. Uh, or on Facebook. And, uh, and uh, we have a live show in New York. Um, October 15th, October 15th at 9 p.m. at QED in Astoria, our favorite home base place. And yes. um, today on the epi- on the podcast, we have uh, an old friend of mine who is doing all kinds of incredibly interesting things, as always. Uh, his name is Andrew Perez. We will hear from him shortly. Yes. Um, but before that, we're going to be I'm going to be reading um, a poem from September of 1998. So, Phil. September 1998. Yeah. Uh, all right. The top movies at the time were uh, Rounders, <laughs> Urban Legend, Rush Hour, and just taken out of the top slot was There's Something About Mary, oh, starring man. Ben Cameron Diaz. Have You Seen My Baseball was a popular thing a lot of people said at the time. Uh, those people being 13 to 15-year-olds. The only thing I will ever, ever remember about that movie is cum. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I mean, also and everybody else also. As a as somebody who would watch movies over and over, I really appreciated Matt Dillon's performance because he continually did all these little things in his performance that uh, to this day I'm like, why isn't he? Why isn't he like Bat- Batman? He got what? pigeonholed as like dopey dude number two. Yeah. I mean, like, he was... But you never know, because Matthew Lillard was that guy, too, and he has made a turnaround. You mentioned Twin Peaks first. You <laughs> mentioned Twin Peaks first, not me. Okay, 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 okay. Noted, noted, noted. Matthew Lillard, if he doesn't have recognition for his performance in the Twin Peaks... In the Twin Peaks? In the Twin Peaks. The titular Twin Peaks. Uh, anyway. And also, uh, Ants was about to come around the corner. Very underrated uh, movie about ants. I never saw Ants. It was, it was, I think it's better than A Bug's Life. Mostly just because of the the, the voice. Right, talent. you were watching all of these movies because you had a little brother, and also because a bunch of new malls opened up in my area, and we were just going, <laughs> we were just going to see. And also uh, at the time, uh, the boy is mine was was taken out of the top slot by Aerosmiths. I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, so it was Armageddon. Time? It was Armageddon that that summer was Armageddon time. Yeah, it was the it was a few summers before, our, or well, a summer before our entire world would be changed by the events. Of episode one, The Phantom Menace uh, from Star Wars. That was, uh, you know, world changing for a lot of people like myself. World changing in a bad way. Yeah, because we still hate it. I feel like we're, we're about. People tw- love to hate it. People were like about 20 years on from the initial release of the Star Wars prequels, and people continue to like put their energy there. Not on the resurgence of Nazis. No, but, you know, people, you know, people love to complain. It's what brings us together, as I've been talking about. Like, you know, how uh, people love to complain about the subway in New York, and they love to complain about the weather and the dirt and all the people. And then um, you come out to Los Angeles, and uh, you're not really allowed to complain about those things. because because you can't have, because then you have to admit that you're miserable in front of other people, and then you have to admit that you're And that makes people uncomfortable here. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Can't do that. So be warned, New Yorkers who might be coming to L.A. Get your commiserations out. If you're ready to be sad, you better you better justify that shit and be charming regardless. Because... Bring a stuffed animal you can yell at or into. Because <laughs> other humans are not going to commiserate with you on that. They're going to be like, ooh, you're a toxin in the room. I'm Lisa Mandel, a toxin in the room. Um, it's good. Good poetry book. Yes. Read your poetry. So this is from a, a steno notebook. Um, this is from uh, uh, Phil. You'll recognize this because I've I had I have similar poems from this time. Um, We're gonna call this one Matt Damon. I'm not calling my notebook Matt Damon. Well, it's from 1998. I mean, that's when he. Uh, that's when Goodwill Hunting happened. You said Rounders. Also Rounders. This was a good year for Matt Damon. That's why it's called Matt Damon. Oh, Patriarchy always wins. Okay, fine. This poem is called Saturday Afternoon. I call it We Bought a Zoo? No, you're fired. Saturday Afternoon. 70s piano bar music in the background. (laughs) Chews on my ear, seeps into my veins, twists my stomach and blurs my mind. Sunlight drools in a wasted, ugly fashion across a dulled yellow carpet. Pitifully, the leaf shadows waver on a white wall, which... What? I'm sorry. You're upsetting David Sedaris. I know. Pitifully, the leaf shadows waver on a white wall, which stare at... Why? I don't know what this is. Why isn't the wind strong enough to just blow all those suburban trees to the ground? 
A senseless, useless wreck. I sprawl in a dirty room in two long jeans, a shirt with a hole in it, a well-worn sweater. I wait for PK to come sweep me off my feet and fuck me. But he is somewhere else in the world with his crazy smirk and tousled bleached hair, smoking pot and drinking till dizziness. Saturdays are dismal and hang at loose ends. Everybody is someplace but not together and minutes and hours drag by, but I don't notice them. And in laziness, I droop. My limp curls fall onto my face. Endless tasks to plow through, but I have no motive, so I don't budge. God, I feel like I've met this Lissa before. Wait, (laughs) who the fuck was PK? His name was Phil Kenny, and he was the one I, I've brought him up in a, in a diary before. He was the only reason why I was cool being a techie. Gotcha. Because he was a lighting dude. He did not give any fucks whatsoever. You were Converse with like spikes on him and shit. No, I, I think know, he was. I think he was a little more underplayed than that. Like he was super chill, and I was the opposite of chill. Um, but yeah, bleached you were the hair, storm. man. This was like Green Day time. You were the storm in this thing you were talking about. That's all you. Yeah. I, it's weird. It came out of nowhere, right? You thought this was going to be about some like anonymous dude sitting at a bar, but it wasn't. And you were like, oh, I just want to sit next to him. No, like you wanted a storm to, to, to destroy trees and then to fuck you. Yeah. It was, that's crazy. Well, this is, this is good. This is good. I think this is on brand for this episode because our guest is, is a storm himself. He certainly is. That's how I would describe him. Um, uh, this man, um, Andrew Perez is uh, an actor and auteur, um, uh, <laughs> played David Miscavige in my Scientology movie, which was really a delight to watch on the big screen. Um, I know him from uh, college. We had an acting class together, and he is currently in the throes of um, reincarnating Klaus Kinski. Yes. Does this one-man show, Very which is insane, insane and incredible. So if you live in L.A., show. we'll give him a moment to talk about that. Uh, listeners, I'm very excited to welcome Andrew Perez. Good one, right? Yes. Okay, so we're out in the street. It's the break of dawn. It's like 5 a.m. in a city, and the buildings are super taller, and there are no people anywhere, uh, and like papers kind of like blow through the street. Yeah. Uh, He's this, wearing like a long black coat. He's wearing a long black Cuts coat and like big fucking shit kicker boots. And he's just staring straight head on into the sun, challenging it. And uh, he begins to walk down the middle of the street in slow motion. Bleach blonde locks in his face. It's crazy. And then, wait, no. And and then. We're waiting for the drums here. I know. I'm sorry. We have to wait for the the bottom to drop out. There it is. There it is. Okay. Andrew Perez, welcome to the Big Welcome. Seat. Thank you. <laughs> I've been staring into the abyss for a long time. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm I'm a little bit miserable sometimes too. Are you? Yeah. That makes me feel be better. I mean, I don't feel good that you're miserable, but like, I feel like when you're an artist, there's misery inside of yeah, you. Yeah, and it, it has to come out, or else it manifests in stupid ways. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of people in LA will deny that there is misery. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like, and I don't know if you felt this too, as an artist. Especially going from a city like Chicago, which is like art for art's sake, Mm -hmm. to L.A., which is art for entertainment's sake. Um, I was talking to a writer friend of mine the other day. She she writes uh, comedy. And uh, I was like, do you consider what you do art? And without missing a beat, she was like, no. Wow. Entertainment. Yeah. There's – Yeah. I remember I did a a show recently or like a a pilot thing where I was to do this character I did in New York. And – 
the character would go on these long tangents. The punchlines weren't so much punchlines. They were just like sad uh, declarations. declarations about his life. And I got paired up with a comedy writer who worked for like Leno and stuff. And it was introducing all this mathematics to the suffering that made it less about suffering and more about, hey, hit a K here because Ks are funnier. Mm-hmm. And it was like, is this art? Is this is this art? I don't think I didn't think it was. It's tough to uh, to not take in the the value system here in terms of art. I mean, it's uh, the way people define yeah. what we do, mm-hmm. whether it's comedy or acting or right. writing. Mm-hmm. Um, here uh, is uh, well, it's all over the place. And um, coming from a place like Chicago, where it's so like ensemble based in, mm-hmm. in terms of being an actor, and uh, I felt like like meditation or just having like some space around mm-hmm. my thoughts every day was like crucial for survival without exactly. just like forgetting who I am. Totally. You know? Totally. So, um, but you've been out here for a while. 10 years. Thing. It's actually 10 years, September 5th. Oh gosh. Crazy. God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you seem to have maintained your Andrewness, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, I don't even know. Honestly, you're such a mystery to me, which is part of the re- reason why you have this like extensive appeal, I think. You have this like magnetic quality. Um, I-, I don't know anything about your past. I don't know where you grew up or anything. Wow. So go. <laughs> I I was born actually in Santa Monica, lived here oh for yeah probably less than a year. Uh, then my parents, my mother... And father, both from Colombia. Mm-hmm. My mother was my father's transcendental meditation teacher. He, what? She gave wow. him his mantra, and then they fell in love. <gasps> and that was my father's second marriage. And they moved to Fairfield, Iowa, the little town where there's two domes in the center of the town, and and half the population go and meditate every morning and night. What? So I lived what? there for like three years and like saw snow as a toddler, and then they divorced. And my mom took me to San Francisco, where I grew up in the Bay Area in oh. like wine country, oh, kind of wow. Sonoma County, Petaluma, mm-hmm. um, not far from where Klaus Kinski spent the last ten years of his life. So that was kind of a connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, went to Northwestern with you, and and stayed in Chicago for two years, and uh, moved out here. And so it's like been a return to California and LA, but it's uh, yeah, it's mm. it's it was so foreign to me when I first got here. Yeah, uh, like just the. I, I loved Chicago in terms of the theater community and uh, oh it was like there were like two hundred um, storefront mm-hmm. at least two hundred small storefront theaters there it just thrived I mean there was no money in it but there was so much love and and I, I had this feeling this image of like an arena of theaters all kind of mm-hmm. aware of each other and connected to each other whether it's Steppenwolf the Goodman or mm-hmm. like Steep Theater or like a brand new like ensemble theater company mm-hmm. like. I just felt like anyone from a, a big theater or a small theater would would be aware of each other's work, and it was very connected. And here, still ten years later, I don't, you know, part, this is on me too, but I I don't have an, a total understanding of the layout and how. Like, I think I it's hard to. I think a Los Angeles makes it hard for you to get any kind of grasp on it. And I kind of, mm-hmm. I, I wonder. I feel like. Okay, the richer you get, the the further up into the hills you can move. And then when you're up in the hills, you can kind of have this, like, vantage point where you can kind of zoom out and get a whole feel for the city. But, like, oh, yeah. until the point, like, when you're down, like, in the valley <laughs> or in the flatness, you're just a little ant. Speaking of ants, you're just, yeah. like, a little ant trying to get some sense of community. But even, you... even though there's, like, two, t- two kinds of, like, the hills. The Beverly Hills is you're far away and overlooking and you're in your own little world and you're partitioned off. But then in, like, the hills by us, by, like, Griffith Park and all that, 
feel like those are friendlier hills. Well, I the like east side those. is friendlier hills, just eh. generally, I think. Yeah. Anyway, a little bit closer to reality. Anyway. We're getting nitpicky. I, I am. Anyway, I have a million questions for you. Okay, you grew up in a household that was, like, based on transcendental meditation. How yeah. much of that did you absorb? Did you have an awareness of it? Is that something that you do now? Mm-hmm. I, um, when, so when I was a kid, I was just used to every morning and late afternoon, my mom would be in her room meditating. And so it'd be wow. like quiet time. So I don't bother her. And, um, and then every summer I'd go visit my dad and I had a best friend out there. And so for like 10 to 20 minutes, like twice a day, he would meditate. So it became this, and then his friends would meditate. Mm-hmm. So when I was 10, I asked to learn meditation. So that's when wow. I was initiated. Wow. So when I was 10, I was like, every every morning and afternoon before school or and after school, I would meditate. Were you given a mantra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was given a mantra in Fairfield, Iowa, and then I, I've kept the same mantra for 24 years. Oh, wow. And, and so I've gone in and out. You know, when I was in college, I, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain sure. your center and your practice. And, you know, I was living in a dorm and, mm-hmm. you know, drinking and partying and As one does. learning. You know? and, uh, and so I've, got, I've veered off center and, you know, I've struggled with depression. And, thing. and then coming back, you know, I think about four or five years ago, I got really like I, I based in it mm-hmm. and, and and solidified yeah and I and it really does have to do with just like you know you're assaulted with images and you know we're on our phones and mm-hmm. there's so many messages and and just just allowing you know our thoughts are are, are so crazed and mm-hmm. influenced by different things and they're not really like who we are and and sometimes you have to just kind of give them space to like let go of them and um, oh yeah yeah. It's vital. And I think a lot of people talk about it, especially out here, but aren't like really connected to what that means. Exactly. And I can say this and still like I'm, you know, I don't know shit. You're you not know? an like, enlightened master? No, I'm not. I, I'm <laughs> like a, I I struggle with it still and and you know, it's like learning the same thing over and over can be so painful yeah. when like Oh, yep. like because like lately, actually, to be totally honest, I've been feeling very far from it, and my mm-hmm. meditation has been a little bit rocky. And and then someone like basically oh, someone I'm close to just just reached out and, and offered me this like NPR podcast on dark thoughts, and I was like, I was like, I this is like so deeply embedded in yep. my like, and yet it hurts. It it hurts when someone gives you something and, and you're like, I know this. And yet yeah. I know why you're giving it to me I because know. I'm not living up to I it. I know. It's really, know. It, first of all, tell me later what that, or if you remember what it is. Yeah, I have podcast. It, it's very fresh on, I, on my phone right now. So. I definitely collect lots of podcasts and I've been listening to, I listen to um, this Ram Das. It's a collection of his lectures um, that Raghu Marcus collected. And uh, I don't remember. I think it's called, Anyway, if you look up Ramdas on the podcast thing, you'll find it. But I listened to this one the other day when I was feeling so frustrated and lost. And the past few weeks have been really hard because I've been like, I'm trying to connect to something really deeply and I don't know what it is. But like there and I listened to this podcast and basically the first thing he says, like one of his students asks, like, um, like, where does humor fall in the, um, you know, prioritizing of of enlightenment or whatever. Like, how is humor important? And Ram Dass, like, without skipping a beat, is like, humor is number one. 
the most important thing on your journey to enlightenment. And then, you know, continues to talk about uh, wow. about about that because you're able to, like, separate yourself from, like, the intensity of whatever's going on and laugh at it. And, and, and this is why I'm, like, <clears throat> having this existential crisis of, like, what the fuck am I doing on earth? What am I doing here? I don't know. Nothing is interesting me. I can't make a decision. And I heard this podcast and I was like, fuck. I am a comedian, and to admit that to oneself is hard. But, like, the messages come to you exactly when you need them, you know, mm -hmm, and not a yeah. moment sooner. So, go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, I, uh, do you attribute your the darker thoughts or depression lately to the pursuit of Klaus Kinski? Definitely um, working on Klaus Kinski has w took its toll on me because I, I did sure. the, the Hollywood uh, Fringe Festival. That's mm -hmm. how we started it. And we did eight performances. So now we have 12 performances coming up starting September 29th. And so awesome. The, the first, oof, I mean, it was raw. It's, 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 it's so, that's, a sh that's a show. You got to take a break after that, I imagine. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, uh, and that's another thing I have to keep reminding myself. And I like, I was surprised that I had, it was like a light went on again. I'm like, I've been through this before. Like, mm -hmm. you, like the mind is so suggestible. And you take, you know, you say words and, and you do actions mm -hmm. that are, and, and your body doesn't know the difference sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, part of it is that you... You invite these things to to pass through you for that time, and and like mm -hmm. it's I'm still figuring out how to like open the channel and how to like clean close, and yeah. close and like and and so that was that was tough because because uh, there were a few performances where I like was not I mean I, like coming I came away from it uh, feeling like I didn't know how to reintegrate you know mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and it and I think it it does affect. I mean, he's um he's a very complicated, very uh, tortured guy. For, so oh. for those of you, I mean, for Klaus Kinski is a German actor, uh, notable for his collaborations with uh, director Werner Herzog, uh, also notable for his volatile uh, attitude uh, and very interesting history as a Hitler youth that he escaped and uh, you know known in German cinema, but also here. And I'm, I'm I'm doing a, a large disservice to you're doing great. Him. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm I'm curious. So I'm curious to your early connections or awareness of him, or was it not until you had left the Bay Area years later that you yes. became interested? Like when did you make that connection? It was um, when I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. I saw uh, the Werner Herzog documentary about his collaboration Me with Kinski. Yeah, it was on IFC. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking IFC came about just around that time. Yeah, and it was—it was all the time. It was—he was on there. Yeah, and they—they they premiered it, and I saw it, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And I like really? to me, it was like, it was that was a comedy show of, about this guy who's this, you know, like because he was so intense. Yeah. Um, and his whole—I remember just thinking like when Herzog describes him saying like. Someone said, like, you were great. And he's like, I was not great. Like, <laughs> I was monumental. I was epochal. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I'm going to do a one-man show about that guy. And then, like, I when got When you were in, a senior in high school? Yeah. But I, then I kind of let it go. And then I, I talked to Mary Poole, our acting yep. teacher, about it. And then I started doing an independent study and started doing research, talking to his neighbors and his best friend, who was this postmistress in Lagunitas, California, this little town in the woods mm -hmm. in Marin. And... Um, and then I read his autobiography, and I just found so many deep 
connection I learned about acting through him and and his his take on acting and and uh, art and and just like civilization. Mm-hmm. Very like, you know, very um, in in some ways like a wild rebellious view on on like the fucked up civilization that we we live yeah, in. It's very and, primal. Yeah, and it's 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 fun to get behind some of that. And then there's like. You know, so then I did a, a show based on his autobiography in college, mm-hmm. and then I'd always wanted to revisit it because it taught me. It felt like a step as an actor, and then it was awesome to it was awesome to see that in college. I think everybody everybody's jaw hit the floor because, I mean, we were kids, and you were tapping into something that was like several layers deeper than any of us even understood. It was very fucking cool. Thanks. Um, but but also just like. Of your of the Andrew Perez character, like f- listeners, it's hard to describe. Andrew Perez is like a legend, sort of. I remember you being like a legend in college and like very wow. beloved, but like also like this guy is a genius in some way that we do not quite understand. So, uh, I want you to use this opportunity to go into this artifact and tell us about what it is, <laughs> because. Okay, I haven't looked at this in a long time, but it's um I'm looking at a. A looks like a diary. It's mm-hmm. a it's a journal, or I guess it's basically a diary. It has a unicorn on it. Yep. Um, it's blue. It's nice design. And it's a, yeah, it's a very fairy tale like unicorn um, bucking up um, on white. It's uh, on the front, and uh, it, it says, uh, <laughs> "This is the adolescent autobiography of Andrew Perez to be published five years after his death." <laughs> so Perfect. this this is. This was started in 96, mm-hmm. so I was 13 mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, and so I think I um, I brought this to L.A. away from anywhere where my parents could find it because I knew there was some, like, and there's even some stuff I've, like, crossed out and, and mm-hmm. was afraid of, like, all of the, you know, puberty yeah. stuff uh, of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, uh, but I haven't looked at it until late last night when I mm-hmm. got home, and and uh, so yeah, there's a, there's, it's highly embarrassing. Um, I think it, it good, it, yeah, good, and, and I, and and not very mysterious, you know, it's very. I know, but that's why I'm interested in it because <laughs> yeah. I knew, like, even though you you were clearly like an ancient soul, you also had to be a kid in this lifetime. So yeah, that's yeah. super interesting to me. And I remembered. Uh, what, what were we talking? There's something about Mary, yeah, yeah. like Rounder. That time, like just hearing all of those pop culture references is really takes me back to yeah. like having braces and wearing Hawaiian shirts and Nike oh, shorts. Yes. You wore Hawaiian shirts. I this wore, was in Iowa. No, this was in in, in uh, Petaluma where I mm-hmm. grew, and it was like I would wear my look was like shiny Nike shorts, like you know black <laughs> shiny, shorts? yeah, like basketball yep. or running yeah. shorts. And then like Hawaiian shirts. That was like what was cool to me. And I was and I was into Shakespeare. I had this cool drama <laughs> teacher. Very Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Very nineties. Which I've I've I have a Hawaiian shirt now, so I've been kind of trying to bring it back. What uh, color? Yellow. Uh, it's greenish. Cool. Nice. Greenish from yeah. And did you were you a were you a person with a lot of a lot of friends or fans or were you kind of like to the beat of your own? I was a little to the drum. beat of my own drum. I was I I had a youth theater I'd go to in Petaluma called Cinnabar, and so I had a lot of friends there. So I was mm-hmm. kind of veering off from my junior high crowd, mm-hmm. um, but was had a lot of like friends in in school that weren't like super tight. And then I had 
a few like best friends that I wasn't as close to by the time I was writing this. I mean, I had just not been seeing them as much, and I was so consumed by my like community theater yeah. life. Yeah, which is uh, which I'm grateful for. That was like a great. I think I I see there's a there's a theater here in um, in L. A. Uh, called Act One, and and I it reminds me of Cinnabar. So mm-hmm. I see these like. I've I've seen a few productions there. I just saw Hairspray, uh-huh. and it's you know all ages, and and uh, just reminds me of like how joyous those times were, and how yeah. much of a haven that can yes. be. From junior high, it was like my junior high looked like a like a juvenile hall. Like it was, it just felt like prison, like you know. Really, and, and that time is just so rough. Oh, it is I, the most rough. I mean, it's if the it, hardest. I think yeah. that theater saved uh, saved a lot of people who who end up coming on this podcast for sure. When I found theater freshman year of high school, I was like, what? Oh, my God. Finally, some oasis from my own uh, thoughts of being isolated. It's yeah. hugely important. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so yes. Please please share with us Let's a do selection. Oh, my. I'll just skip around, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let me introduce myself. My name is Andrew Paul Perez, and my main interests right now are acting and girls. This is my journal, so I can document the truth word for word. I have a microcassette recorder, and will <laughs> do my best to write down the truth about my life. It's Christmas, December 25th, 1996, and Santa gave me great presents, including the Snow Queen video. I was Kai in the Snow Queen, a play at Cinnabar Theater in Petaluma, California, He is a lead role, and I get to sing a lot. Same time. Well-known people at Cinnabar. I talked about my friends at Cinnabar. Mm -hmm. Mika, really nice girl my age, plays Gerda. Great kisser. (laughs) (laughs) Gabe, the most hilarious human being I've ever met and a very decent person. Great actor, plays the crow. Jessie, Gabe's older sister my age. She's (laughs) self-absorbed and is a natural actress. Pretty good kisser. Wow. (laughs) Getting Uh, around, Andrew. I think we played spin the bottle or something. Uh, Zach, a year younger than me. A crack up. He was a great cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz and plays the snow goose in The Snow Queen. Lauren Merriman. I am head over heels, drop dead in love with her. She's fine. She's two years younger than me and we were great friends in the summer when I was the scarecrow and she was Glenda in The Wizard of Oz. I asked her out and she said yes but called me up the next day and said no. Oh. Uh. More about her later. I think I should get into the Lauren Merriman ordeal. We like each other, but something's keeping her from going out with me, so we don't talk anymore. I called her on closing night, and she told me she only liked me as a friend. Two days later, I got a letter from guess who? Lauren. (laughs) And I write out the whole letter, (laughs) which is... Uh, so she ba- she basically says like maybe I'm confused and you don't understand me, but please can we still be good friends? Right now I think it's best if we just act ourselves. And if you truthfully don't like me at all, I will learn to live with your hatred towards me. Oh. I'll always care about you, friends, Lauren Merriman. And that oh. was heartbreak. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> December 26th. <laughs> to top it all off, I'm going to be Oberon, King of the Fairies. And okay. she's Titania, uh, Queen of the Fairies. It might be fun. I'll try to have as much fun as possible. Gabe is Puck. Um, let, me get, let me get to, let's see, a little bit. Let's skip time. 
Spanning time, as Vincent Gallo says. Spanning time. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. Okay. January 3rd, 97. I spent the night at Zach's last night. We stayed up late and played improv games. I said the F word lots of times in one skit. Everyone <laughs> laughed. I went lunatic and drunk. I asked out Mika. See, Devra liked me, but so did Mika. They decided they didn't care, and I'm going out with Mika. <laughs> I like her so much. She's the one. I feel it. Who was there? Gabe, me, Devra, Jesse, <laughs> Mika, and Zach. The next day, we rollerbladed, and I held Mika's hand. She told Jesse that what was happening between us is a friendship thing. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> next Tuesday, we start our acting class. Jesse was cool. It was, I write a lot of exclamation points, mm -hmm. so... It was an improv, and she did this New Yorker auditioning for a role in a Midsummer Night's Dream. I was cracking up. I like Mika so much, I want to kiss her, and she says we're doing a fucking friendship thing? Maybe I'll go crazy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, January 23rd, 97. Gosh, so much has happened. Me and Mika are still going out, and we went to the movies and saw Jerry Maguire. Oh, man. I kissed her on the cheek, and we held hands. She told Devra I'm not romantic enough. Okay, she asked for it. I'll kiss her next time I see her. Acting class is great. I'm playing Oberon, King of the Fairies, and I have a great sense of character. I get really mad at Titania, the <laughs> Queen of the Fairies, who's played by Lauren. Right now, Mika's really sick, so she's telling me not to touch her, while telling Devra I'm not romantic enough. We went on our first date on January 12th, 97. My belated New Year's resolutions. One. Yell louder when doing jumping jacks in P.E. <laughs> Two, kiss a girl for a long time. I think I initially wrote, kiss Mika for a long time. But and you then crossed it out. It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> the tie up to that plot. Yeah. Be in a play, not at Cinnabar. Four, make friends and become more popular at school. Five, go on really romantic dates with, crossed out, Girls. <laughs> Six. Get straight A's. Seven. Get back into sports and rap music. Eight. Save $30 and spend it downtown. <laughs> Nine. Beat up Andrew Grotto Bachman. I saw this last night and I was like, what was, why would, well, yeah. Ten. Make $1,000. Eleven. Go to New York. Twelve. Go to Nike Town. Oh, here's oh, a sad okay. one. Okay. Uh, today I went to, this was February 2nd, 96. Today I went to church, which was unity, and I'm Catholic, I guess. Uh, so I cried out of guilt. Then I went to pick up Mika and take her to the movies, and she had plans with Devra and Jesse. Then my school friends, Derek and Shaheen, weren't home. Then Mika dumped me. Oh. This has been the worst day of my life. I know it's safe to say that. I've cried about three different things, at least. I got in fights with my parents. But while I was in the Unity Church, they said Andrew was the name of strength. Now I know that wasn't a coincidence. Strength is the word for today. Today has made me a stronger person. Andrew Paul Perez is stronger. I talked to Gabe on the phone, and I felt better. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. See, that is so, like, I can't believe how quickly you came through that. All those things happened, and you learned like within the span of that one entry. It's fine. I cried three times, but I'm stronger now. Yeah. Also, what is unity? I don't know. I think it was Unitarian. Oh. 
And uh, maybe I was mis miswriting it, or maybe it's called unity in Petaluma. I don't know. I went. I remember that feeling though, this like feeling of guilt, even though I was kind of like a class clown at the. I went to a little Catholic CCD thing, uh-huh. and I never really listened or like. As people, invested. people don't. Yeah. Uh, I think me more so than maybe other kids. I was. I was. I think I always kind of stepped back from from religion and um mm-hmm. and not and kind of a jokey way and um but like i guess in that moment i felt like this like because i've always been a loyal person so i just thought what am i doing but my parents took me so yeah but like at by this point you'd been meditating for several years already and you're probably like any religion is just like what are we doing here what is this yeah also catholicism kind of there's a totality and a singularity and being what they want you to be because by doing that you have to ignore and forsake every fringe aspect of your personality and your needs and yeah. as somebody who, around that time, I was Catholic, but I was also like, let me just get confirmed, and then I'm not going to give a shit about this. I just need to get confirmed, make my parents happy, and then never address it ever again. Because, I don't know, my, my church was a little bit more tyrannical in that. But it was, it's hard when, you're, when you want to be so many things as a kid, and they, as a, that religion sort of wants you to embrace... Any religion sort of limits you. Yes. Uh, but I, I genuinely feel that of all the Christian ones no more like people fall out of it than Catholics. And it's not because uh it's not because of the uh the iron fist. It's just because like it doesn't present it's not welcoming. It doesn't feel like something you'd want to continue with. It's, it feels like a process you go through and then you're like, yeah, I was Catholic. Mm. And and uh, the tug of war as a kid, I I felt that very strongly too. The guilt. If you go to other churches, you feel Guilty, but I always felt guilty because they were enjoying themselves. But then when I went to my church, it was this solemn affair mm-hmm. of like very somber, yeah, very somber. Eat this bread, uh, mm-hmm. think about how you've upset people. Uh, have a good day. Uh, peace be with you. <laughs> and it's just like it just drove, drove, drove me crazy. And going to other churches, yeah, I would. I my uh, my uncle's uh, partner had a church where that was like they would. A, a gay couple. They had a church they would go to where it was like playing guitar and singing and celebrating. It's like, what is this? What is this? And I just feel be- feel bad. So I'm with you there. Yeah. As a as a fellow Catholic. But um. A fellow. A fellow Catholic. Um, um. I I noted by the way in the first entry that you read that that you said Mika is a good kisser like first off and then. Uh, that was the first thing you mentioned, and then you were like, oh my god, I'm so in love with this Lauren chick, and then Mika comes back around later, <laughs> yeah. and she's the one. What happened she with Lauren? She was the Lauren? one for a little bit. Lauren, oh man, I so I, I think I get into it later on here, um, but what I, I, I had, I played, we did scenes from Shakespeare and, yeah. and, and a, a little show together, and at one point, I went aside to her and just spilled my guts out and said, you know, what I lo- I couldn't get over. And I was really in yeah. it. Um, and, uh, and she, uh, said no. I mean, she just, <sighs> you know, and, and, and yet like her mom would say things to my mom and like my mom would be like, they're like, act like there was some secret. So I felt like maybe like she actually liked me, but no, I, I, <sighs> I think that Lauren, um, I think, you know, we went to different high schools and, and mm-hmm. she was a couple years younger than me. Um, 
and we uh, we kind of I I would just hear about her from a distance, and now I know she's married and a, a school teacher, and very seems nice. happy. And I think I like tried to reach out to her when I first moved out to LA. I was just like, "How are you? Where where are you? You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, it's I think it's the first person you're ever obsessed with that uh, that kind of yeah. Know, big, yeah. Um, but I I still remember like dreams that I. Like, mm-hmm. there's a dream in here that I still remember, like, being in a... I think I was, like, in a limo mm-hmm. in New York with her. When she said... She said yes, and then, you know, she would be my girlfriend. And the next day, like, called me and said no. But, like, that next day, I'll never forget waking up in my room in Petaluma, lights spilling in, and I felt like like everything was glowing. Oh. I was so... You're... Was, yeah. <laughs> your inten- but your intensity is is a lot and um (laughs) but i think that's so beautiful and such an artist thing and i think a lot of people who aren't artists don't understand it and um i mean yeah yeah she didn't even get the intense you know we didn't like walk a day but but like it was for you you know like feeling those feelings was so that you could know that you could feel those feelings regardless of whether she was around or not you know when did uh when did you take up rapping Rapping started after college. I think that when I was in college, I was living, I, I was shared a room with this uh, rapper, actor, Matt Sachs. Oh, yeah, Matt Sachs. Yeah, who did a one-man show uh, 10 years ago that went to the the uh, Kirk Douglas here called Clay. And uh-huh. I think it was one of the first shows that opened that theater, um, if not the first. And he's he was rapping in my room all the time. And I was doing Klaus Kinski the same year. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, watching him rap and, like, I wasn't, I mean, I I appreciated what he was doing and thought it was cool, but I wasn't like, oh, I should I should rap or like I I was so far away from rap music at that point, and I think I kind of liked it in uh, growing up a little bit, but like um, in college, I was so into like I would listen to a lot of Elliot Smith and Rufus Wainwright, and uh, like it was like it was too. a lot of Elliot Smith at that time, and it was <laughs> real like you know candlelight. Did, did you like, see him when he came to call, to Northwestern? No, I remember that. But the day, like the day, so there was a day when we were doing the Greeks mm-hmm. in in I, I gotta say junior year or early junior year. Yeah. Um, and Mike Cohn and I were living with Matt Sachs, and mm-hmm. Mike Cohn was this, uh, another actor who's in L.A. and uh, we, on a whim, just started playing Elliot Smith, and then he started showing me concert videos and stuff, and we just went through this whole Elliot Smith thing. And then, like, the next day, he wakes me up, and he's like, Elliot Smith stabbed himself yesterday. And it was, like, the day that, like... Oh, God. Yeah. So it was a, it was a trippy thing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was super soon after I bought was... either or, mm-hmm. uh, and I was listening to it, and then, like, that week was he killed himself. Yeah, he, when he, he played on campus, like, he opened for... I think he opened for Ben Folds or maybe mm-hmm. something like And he was on stage just him and his guitar and his like, you know, wool cap and he was so um like I think he was just like on all kinds of like um prescription meds or was like trying to detox from prescription meds and he couldn't get through an entire song. His like his he kept saying that like he couldn't feel his hands and he couldn't remember a song. Oh. He couldn't get through an, a single song. It was devastating to watch but I remember listening to so much Elliot Smith at yeah. that time yeah. too he's a darkness that's comparable comparable to Kinski only in sadness yeah uh, I was listening to a lot of that at the time I was writing the Kinski show yeah 
Yeah. That's a that's a, well. That's the thing that people when they look at him on the surface they think of him as a a madman. But there is so much of that uh, sad sadness and darkness, deep dark in there that they on the surface don't want to confront. Which is, as a big fan of Kinski, it's really really cool to see. Well, okay. What I would like to ask you then um, is. Given all of this darkness that you have been like fascinated by and involved with like your whole life, and like, what are some tools that especially young artists can use to bring themselves back to like a healthy place after they've gone into that dark place? Like, do you what are things that you do to de- detach from that? Um, I would say the things that have worked for me have been exercise. Mm-hmm. Number one, like finding, especially finding like a sport or something because it's a game and, mm-hmm. and you can you can obsess about it and and get better and then and it you won't know, kill play, you play with other yeah, yeah. like so for me it's been in L A I never did this in Chicago but in L A it's been like pick up basketball mm-hmm. and and just that's the one thing it's like separate from acting it's like a completely mm-hmm. other joy that I've found and and um, you know I'm not like six foot or anything but i but it's it's been fun to like just play this other thing and, and have it be active and have it like inspire me to um breathe and run mm-hmm. and exercise and and um be physical and i and i think that's the main thing yeah. and then other than that like a hard it's it, i i say meditation but it's hard because in the times of stress like the thing you resist the most is meditation. It's like this. Yeah. Yep. And so it's it's really hard to like. It's hard to. I think exercise is more addictive, and like and like you can lock into a zone with it. But I think meditation, yeah, for sure, like is just giving yourself quiet time mm-hmm. to not do anything mm-hmm. and to just kind of breathe. And uh, and I would say, yeah, those those two things. Are, That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what a gift you had as a kid to learn that stuff early. That's yeah. so incredible. And it's um, good to see it now sort of come to roost with the, with the performances that you're giving now. You could sort of see the ladder uh, or the spark of that. So, I mean, that's what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> and funny story, I, I saw your show. I was very, very impressed. And my, my best friend in high school and college, uh, Andrew Buck, uh, we were obsessed with Klaus Kinski and Werner Herzog. To the point where wow. I had dreams where I would be fighting him ferocious, like he would be attacking me, and we would be fighting. But it was ridiculous. We hadn't spoken for ten years. The day after I saw your show, I found out George Romero died. It was another person that we were obsessed with. So I called him, first time in ten years, no oh, answer, yeah. and I left him a voicemail. And I was like, "Listen, I saw the show. It was amazing." A week later, he calls me, and we've been we've been talking ever since. So your having show, fallen out of touch for ten years for ten wow. years. And so your show uh, inspired me to reach out to him. Wow. So uh, this is a bitch seat thing because this is an adolescent uh, event. Uh, so thanks. Yeah, thank well, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to know. I mean, that's that's the thing that I, I love most, I think, as as an actor or artist is to, to inspire people to reach out to, yeah. you know, for, for even if it's, yeah, it's a memory that... that was sparked. I, and there's something about the Kinski Herzog thing when, because it's so kind of, um, it's like a cinephile thing, but it's like very, yeah. it feels like more people should know about it because they were so crazy, yes. you know, and it's hilarious. It's uh, so funny because they both wanted the same thing, but they just couldn't stop screaming about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, would you, 
tell the uh, the listeners where they can catch this okay. iteration of the show. Okay, so it's called The Second Coming of Klaus Kinski. Um, you can get tickets at uh, klauskinskilive.com. And uh, it opens September 29th and plays Fridays and Saturdays at 8 uh, for six weeks uh, up until November 5th. And uh, it... Uh, yeah, Fridays, Saturdays uh, at 8 at the Blank Theater's second stage um, on Santa Monica. Awesome. Terrific. And Andrew, I will leave you with a gift. Oh. As we are wont to do. Uh, this is uh, just something from my childhood bedroom because I say I have everything still intact because my parents still live there. So um, I always give away some useless item to my guests. No way. Feel free to do with it what you will. Uh, just this- take it with you. Take it, just don't throw it in the garbage and don't take it with you. I mean, you can throw it in the garbage, take just it don't do it in front don't, of my face. Yeah. Okay, so this is, for a second, I was like super obsessed with playing the ocarina. So this is a, this is a songbook. Have you ever played, do you know the ocarina? No. It's a It's a Native American instrument. Um, it's like carved, um, I don't know if it's like ceramic or bone or ivory or something. It looks like this. It's kind of shaped like a human torso with like, holes on it and you cover different holes to make different notes so uh i got really into it for a a second of course and um i wore it on a string around my neck like a real dork for a while um do you summon any horses or travel in time with it uh, no sadly no anyway (laughs) sorry this uh in case you ever come across an ocarina awesome super useful Thank you. For you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, play the pipe yeah. and summon the spirits. I've been working on the railroad. Yeah, summon the spirits. Some real, yeah, real good stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, well, um, Andrew, thank you so much for yeah, coming and sharing for me. these, uh, the annals from your past. I oh, love man. it. It's great. It's yes. great. I love that we still know each other. Me too. All right. All right. Guys, this was fun, but don't forget, treasure, treasure what got, got you, you here. here. <laughs> This is working out. It is. I'm enjoying this. I like it. Hello, I'm Ben. As always, I'm Paul. And we're from Jews Reviews. We have a podcast where we like to talk and review movies, maybe bring on a wacky character from that movie, and always play some games. We like some games. I actually brought a clip, Paul. Wait, you brought a clip? I brought a clip. Can I listen? Yeah. I look mad young, right? Yeah, yeah. you look young in the movie. And, uh, I hooked up with a bunch of the young chicks at the movie. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's not illegal if you're a police officer. And, and, I believe that, And this yeah. is something I wanted to bring up since you're here. Sure. Tell us about all the hookups on set. Oh, my God. Who's on, hooking up with who? Yeah. So, all right. So, like, there's, like, these, like, Asian girls in the movie. Right. They play, I, the twins, right? I triple kissed them. Okay, oh, a little triple kiss. Triple is that why you didn't get confused if it was Rachel or Rebecca? Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, oh, whatever, and I triple kissed them. Was and was that offset or on camera, or and they got cut out maybe? Or oh, uh, I didn't do it on camera for sure. Okay. I would never because I, you know, what I mean, that's I could get in a lot of trouble for that. They, I don't, I don't know how old they are. I could never tell with them. But uh, who else? Let me see. Cecily, the girl. Yeah. I chalked. I, I chalked her. You chalked her. <laughs> what, I chalked what is, her. What is chalking? That's when you kind of forcibly kiss someone. <laughs> <laughs>